Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 12, Zora. Well, hello and welcome again to Trollodon Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and this is the final episode in the first season and the final episode of this year. So thank you for following along if you have done so. If you haven't, it's your first time checking it out. We've had 12 episodes now and talking a little bit more about the legends and lore of Trollodon. I'd encourage you to check it out. Take a listen if you're curious about it. And also take advantage of some other podcasts, which I do. I recently started one called Behind the Scenes, or excuse me, Trollodon Behind the Scenes. And then I have another one called Cauldron of Worlds, which talks more about world building and various topics tied into that, which you might find of interest if you like building worlds or just are interested in that kind of thing in general. There are available on my website, chadcorey.com, as well as anywhere you find podcasts. You should be able to download and subscribe to them as well. This episode will also be marking the end of the miniseries we started with the Cosmic Entities earlier in the year. We're wrapping up with, I think, kind of a very fun figure who, again, I'm not going to get into a super great deal of detail about because of, as I said in previous episodes, these are characters, especially this one in particular, who has a lot of story that will be getting unpacked in various publications and formats and things in the near future, immediate future, and in the time to come, different projects and things I'm working on, and I want to have it come out that way and have it come out in the right way, rather than me share things that might spoil things prematurely here. So I do appreciate your patience on this, but like I said in previous episodes, I'll say again, I'm not going to shortchange you in any way, shape, or form with what I'm presenting. I'm going to do my best to give a fun, full summary of this individual and where their significance and places in the larger historical context and why they are an important figure in the Titanic timeline and even particularly with Zora, the Trelodroan timeline. She has a very, very prominent role, which we'll get to in just a moment. But again, we covered the basics here, doing the lineage all the way from Adon all the way to Omni, then into Endurus, and then now to his sons in between the Interregnum there, and into Vakar, who became the eternal emperor and the first god of the cosmos and the founder of what would become known as the Trolodron Pantheon. Of course, he couldn't have any gods in and of by himself. He needed to have a wife for that to have the kids. And that's part of where Zora comes in. But she also was a very key figure before his rise to power, during his reign, and even after his reign. She even ruled herself for a period of time as empress in his stead. And we'll talk about that, like I said, in just a moment. But I just wanted to kind of rehash a little bit what we talked about before. Fakar rose to power as a, I don't want to say usurper, but he had a bigger plan. He he wanted to take on and build a cosmic empire. And really, he was thinking, I think, in part to benefit all of Titan kind. But eventually, that became more and more of a personal goal he wanted to accomplish for himself. Although I don't necessarily think he would say that out loud all the time. I think later on he might get that way, but I think he still initially during his reign wanted to think it was for all of the Titan race as a whole. But during that time, before he became the Eternal Emperor, 
Zora was with him, beside him, helping him out, planning, strategizing, encouraging him, and doing whatever she could to facilitate his goals. She was obviously a very intelligent and uh, gifted individual. She was a Titan lady, and as we talked about in previous episodes, they were focused on one particular cosmic element, trying to master it and use it and just gain all the benefit and power they could out of it. And her particular interest was a Titan of Time, or Lady of Time. And so that helped very well in her pursuits because Vicar was looking at various aspects of one to move his plan into action. But also it helped her because she had a very strong interest in the Omnian Scrolls. And that would play a part in the latter portion of his reign, even the beginning portion of his reign, which again we'll cover in just a moment here. But that's her background as a Lady of Time and her fanatical devotion to Vicar would prove her to be just a powerful ally, indispensable advocate, and a very, very strong co-ruler or co-regent in a lot of ways with him. He would make her empress in due time once taking the throne. And she was a very, like I said, she was a very powerful woman in and of herself when she took the throne, but she's also very devoted to Vicar. She was head over heels in love with him. She was very dedicated to what he was, what he was about. She thought his plan was visionary and just totally agreed with it 100%. And just, you know, it was like the perfect combination for her. She, she got the, the man she loved, plus she totally agreed with what he was trying to do. And she was a strong advocate of it and just made her all the more of a fierce opponent if he got in her way or got in Vicar's way. And she could have a very tough side, too, because she was known as his sword. And she was basically the one to advocate and go out and execute all his commands for those that didn't fall in line. Because Vicar didn't always want to use his godly power all the time to lord it over people. Although he would, you know, from time to time, but she was the one to kind of maintain order, structure, to help implement some of his plans, to basically help run the empire. She was, like I said, an indispensable co-ruler with him for the most part, and that really helped Vicar focus on things later on where he wanted to go with his plan for that cosmic empire. But one of the things she wanted, of course, was a family, and she wanted to have a, a normal family life as well, not just the whole pursuit of godhood for the pursuit of godhood. But it would greatly benefit her and history that she was made a goddess, the first goddess of the cosmos, in order to have that family. And that would set us up for the position and the beginning of the Trilodron Pantheon. She would literally give birth to gods, being the very first person or being who was ever, ever able to do that. And that would certainly set her apart on one level just in and of itself there as far as her, her historical and timeliness of the timeline goes. She would basically be able to give birth to the gods who would become fathers and mothers themselves of other gods and form the new pantheon after her death and Vicar's death, giving rise to what would become known as the Trilodron Pantheon. But she would also have a key part in the history by introducing or reintroducing the Omnian Scrolls to the general mindset of several scholarly individuals in the palace and later to her daughter, Cyrodiil. Up until that time, as we mentioned in previous episodes, Endurus was not too excited about the Omnian Scrolls, which his father passed on to him, kind of emphasizing their importance and saying, this is something you need to be aware of and maybe prepare other people after you about because I think this is going to be, these are going to be events that are going to be taking place in their lifetimes or shortly after that. And if you want a better idea of what the Omnian Scrolls were about, do check out previous episodes, one about Ami and then one a little bit about Honduras, we talk about it, to find out more about what they were and what they were not and uh, why they were kind of passed on. 
Enduris, though, for his part, wasn't really focused on reading that knowledge or getting that information for himself. He, he thought it was kind of important, but he was more or less focused on, obviously, conquest and taking on territory and things like that. And maybe good intention was, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later. He kept putting it off, and he just just never got to it. And, of course, with Nidal and Agri, they just didn't have a chance to take a look at it. I don't even think Agri really knew a whole lot about it. If he did, he wasn't super excited about it himself. And so they didn't really put a whole lot into it as far as checking it out, reading it, researching it. And for his part, Vicar did the same. He wasn't one to get into it too much so either himself. He was more focused on his throne and his plan and, and such. And to be fair, Zora wasn't really too knowledgeable about it either. It wasn't until they took the throne and she finally was able to get into the palace that she began to do some more research and came across the Omnian Scrolls and learned more about what was in, in, entailed and through her study as a lady of time and just from her general interest in the topic at hand, she was able to deduce some things that were able to put them in a better position to better weather the time ahead with their rule as the first emperor and empress of an eternal or godlike nature. But the longest lasting legacy of the Omnia Scrolls through Zora was not only making them available and of interest to her and some other people, but presenting them to her daughter when she came of age, uh, Sarah Dell. She would pass them on to her, who would take them on and really tap into and begin to fully understand the implica implications of what this, these documents are portraying and how they could ultimately be a negative thing for everything in the cosmos in the, the centuries to come. So she would study those and learn from them and actually help guide the course of a lot of different events. Again, we're not going to get into all that now, because some of it has yet to come to pass. But needless to say, Zora had a hand in a big part of helping maybe save some lives and save a lot of directions of historical pursuit, shall we say, from going one way or the other, doing the best, better of the two or three options presented in order to safeguard and secure not only the, the Trilodron Pantheon, but their later creation of Trilodron and other parts of the cosmos as well. And while she would be a very strong advocate and part of the Empire under Vicar, she'd also have a time of rule under her own. She became the first Empress of the Thangarian Empire, reigning for a brief period of time between Vicar's initial disappearance and then his return shortly before he and Zora were killed by Sidra. And it was during his absence that she began or implemented the strategy for how to educate their children and how that process would be carried out then for their children after them. And so basically she established the protocols for the royal family or the divine family, if you will. And that has been an implementation and being adhered to ever since. It also She also established how they would take their place of rule basically replacing their, their, the gods' children would replace the titan lords as the ultimate heads of the cosmic realms or planets, and they would get to rule basically as a regent in their stead or a governor. And that would keep everything in the family line. It would also give them the experience that they needed to rule in their own if they should ever have to find themselves elevated to that position, though with Fakar and Zor being immortal as all the other gods for the most part, uh, that was very unlikely going to happen anytime soon, if ever. But there was an opportunity for them to learn how to be better at ruling and reigning in the empire. It was also a chance for them to flex their muscle and learn what it's like to be a god. And so they had a, a safe sandbox, 
in which to participate in growing and development, developing their powers and their interests outside or, I guess, within the imperial order and structure, keeping everything orderly and contained without having fear of revolts or, or uprisings or things like that. And that was a very genius move that actually served very well in keeping the stability of the empire for a very long time. And again, it would be something that would be implemented with the, the their kids, the gods' kids, after them, the second generation of gods born of gods. And that would be a continuation, again, that continued into the modern day. That's been going on now ever since then. And it's served a very keen process for keeping order and structure, even after the fall of the Thangarian Emperor, which we'll get to in just a moment here. I'm going backtracking here for just a moment. While she was in the position of Empress, she also learned some things about the Omnian Scrolls, passed those things on to Cyrodiil. She also implemented new policies and things for the Empire, which were keeping things running. She proved herself a very, very capable and, and strong ruler in general. And the, every everyone knew she was the, the perfect advocate and support for Vicar because she ruled not really on her behalf, although she, you know, people realized she was. She always, in her mind, was saying she was ruling on behalf of her husband. Just, you know, was a caretaker and trying to do the best in his interest, what he would do if he was here. And finally, you know, after she's given up almost all hope that he'd never come back because no one really knew where her car was, he returned. And after his return, they were going to announce some nice things and he's going to share some secrets he learned, all that kind of fun stuff. But he never got the chance to do so because at that celebration when they were welcoming his return, he was killed by Sidra, the daughter of Gurthgal who was actually a advocate or an agent, I guess you could say, for Null, who had had enough of these gods who kept trying to usurp power and take over more and more of the cosmos for themselves, and they wanted to put an end to it. And so that's what they tried to do by killing Zora and Vakar. And by, by their deaths, ultimately, well, obviously, as we mentioned in the last episode, by Vakar being tied to the throne... He was the center of the cosmos, and by not having him on the throne, the cosmos started to fall apart, and that's where Gurthgall took over and momentarily stepped in until he found a way to finally get himself off the throne, and that process involved the creation of Trilodron. And We're not going to get into all that now, but that's just kind of the, the thumbnail version of how that came about. But with her death and with his death, basically the empire was destroyed. The siblings didn't really see a way to rule in an empire. Well, actually, I take that back. Girthgall saw that the old way was not going to be sustainable. Everyone turned against him trying to get the throne. They were all trying to fight, trying to be the new emperor or empress of the empire. And he just saw this was not a, a, a good way to move forward. And so he advocated for the creation of what he called the Trilodron Pantheon, or the Council. And that basically established a concept of each god would be in control of their own territory they had now. They would be their own mini-emperor of their territory and be allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. And collectively, when it came to matters of the cosmos or later on with Trilodron, they would get together and have a meeting of the minds and try and find a universal way forward that at least the majority could agree to so they could keep the peace as far as anything that involves more than one realm. Most people were open to that. Everyone's tried to make, take advantage of that in some way, shape, or form ever since then, but it's been the system of governments and, and universal control ever since. It also, like I said, put an end to the empire, and it put an end to the throne, so it was no longer a threat 
to the cosmos and was no longer something to covet by the various members of the pantheon. And in so doing, Grithgal became the last emperor of the Thangarian Empire. But oddly enough, because of Vikar's decree, you would think that Vikar and Zor would be immortal and they'd be able to survive and live out their afterlife somewhere in, in peace or come back and rule maybe the empire in their afterlife form, but didn't happen. For some reason, they were not able to return, even though Grithgal tried to do so. And so they shared the similar fate, it was believed, as the people who came before them, basically dying and not having an afterlife to share any insight or connect with or be involved with any way, shape, or form those who lived after them. Why that was, no one is 100% sure. There are some thought processes, obviously, that it's an after-effect of Noel and Antogenes meddling to as a final judgment against them from trying to have them do anything else to hinder their plans or their cosmic schemes, but no one really knows 100% for sure. Needless to say, though, that they are no longer involved in the lives of their kids or in the cosmos in general. The only thing that is left of Vicar is his memory, of course, and, and Zora as well, but his throne, which is tied down on the planet of Trilodon. And that is where things have remained to the modern day and where I think I'm going to wrap this podcast up as well. So once again, thanks for your time and taking a moment to listen to what I've been sharing. Hopefully it has been of a benefit or of interest to you, at least maybe giving you some more background information or insight into what some of the stories are you might be reading or some of the things you might be seeing online or maybe other podcasts you're taking advantage of as well. I do appreciate that. I'm just going to plug one more time in here. If you wanted to have any questions asked of me, anything about the podcast, the world setting, the episode in particular, feel free to email me at lore, L-O-R-E, at chadcorrie, C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. I look forward to putting something together, answering you maybe directly or maybe trying to answer them in an upcoming podcast and uh, go from there. And I also want to make you aware, we wrap things up here, that there is another book in the Wizard King trilogy out for pre-order now. It'll be coming out in March of 2021. So I wanted to make you aware that Trial of the Wizard King is now available for pre-order if you haven't been aware of that so far. You can pre-order it on my website on just about anywhere you can find a book. You should be able to get a, van, uh, get a hold of it. You can also put an order in at the local library if you'd like to get your books that way as well. It will be coming out in an audio, a digital, and a paperback version just like the first volume has come out. And you can also pre-order those options as well through Audible and uh, other places you can make use of audiobooks and uh, ebooks as well. Otherwise, have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will see you next year. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey, all rights reserved.